Hey friends, this is your friend Kyle Coleman. Welcome to Are We Still Friends, the podcast where I sit down with interesting friends to see what they're up to in their interesting lives. There may be too interesting, in fact, and I oftentimes wonder, are we still friends? Jen Hunter Tyndall is a teacher by day and sleep talker by night. She enjoys escape rooms, cooking, and stationary stores. She once literally fell off a horse, and she's proud to report she got back on. You're doing, like, not only the cool part where it's kids that want to be there, but do you have, like, required, like, are some of your classes required classes that people have to be? Yeah, so... You've been in my classroom. Uh You've seen the difference between advanced theater and story slam, Mm -hmm. which is the wheel, which is a requirement for all freshmen, and they're only there for nine weeks. So number one, they don't necessarily want to be there. Number two, they're like, "Uh, it's only nine weeks. I don't have to lock in real hard Mm -hmm. because it's going to just go so fast. Yeah. So yeah, that's... Yeah. That's part of the danger of uh, how it's set up. But at the same time, when you do make an impact, it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. Have you had a lot of instances of people coming from Story Slam and being like, oh, now I want to be involved in theater? I, yes. I wouldn't say that that's the vast majority. Sure. I would say most of them leave with, I proved to myself that I can stand in front of a crowd of people and talk and use my voice and share my thoughts uh, and take risks and be vulnerable in front of people. And that's me. I feel like I'm winning there. Or some of them are like, huh, I'm not a band kid. I'm not an athlete. I'm not very good at drawing. Maybe I'll give this a whirl. I really liked being in this building for nine weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'll come back. Have you had any like standout stars that like came from, I don't do theater. I'm just taking this class because I have to, to like, oh wow, you actually had something in you. and More on the technician side, kids that were in the building and they were like, what do those lights do? What does the soundboard do? When do we get to play with a light board? And it's like, not in this class, but you should take tech theater. In fact, I figured out, I called the counselors and I was like, how do I have this student not take the rest of their wheel, but take tech theater? Mm. And so she was with me for the full four years, which is rare. Uh, and yeah, she's the best lighting designer that we've had. Yeah. So cool. Stand out superstar on the tech side. Yeah. That's yes. awesome. Yeah. I know you've, you've been around to some different places as a, as a professor, as, as a high school theater director, as like, what are, where did you get started <laughs> in all of this? Well, I was always involved in theater with my childhood Mm -hmm. and my high school career. And so I went to University of Montana with my sights set on a BFA in acting. So I got a four-year degree in acting, and I thought, this is it, I'm going to go be an actor. But as soon as you graduate, you quickly find out that you have to pay bills and what is the acting job that's going to get you to be able to afford groceries and keep the lights on. So I went on tour with Missoula Children's Theater, and they're... A company based out of Missoula, Montana, obviously, but their reach is all across the nation. But now they even go to other countries. They go to Guam. Um, They have a cruise line where you can have your kids do theatrical activities during the day while the families are enjoying a cruise vacation. So they've got their business model really down. And you tour the country with you and another partner. And I was doing Cinderella. And you cast kids on a Monday, and then the show goes up on Friday. You do another show on Saturday, drive on Sunday, start over at another small town, 
the next day. New cast. So I was go yeah. So I was going through Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas with a guy named Dwayne. And uh it was just wow, I do not love being on the road, but I really like teaching kids. So I came off the road and decided I wanted to get a master's in education so I could teach and pay my bills and not be on the road eating <laughs> Applebee's every single week and staying in a La Quinta every single <laughs> night of my life. So yeah, I went back to Eastern Washington University, which was the best kept secret of affordable education in the Pacific Northwest. I got my mes master's in education and a certification for teaching all in one year for $14,000, which is unheard of. Yeah, I was placed in a classroom with a man named Tom Armitage, who is my mentor and hero and we still talk every single week um still today and so he'll say oh give me what's the update on so-and-so kid like he knows them like they're his own students yeah so from there he wrote me a knockout letter of recommendation i got my first job at a high school in spokane in the spokane valley called university high school which is very confusing mm -hmm. when kids are like well what was it was it a university or was it a high school it was a high school i taught english and uh theater there um from there i decided i wanted to teach college and i thought i don't love these administrators they are not supportive of the arts. And I thought that college would be a different situation. <laughs> um, so I went to University of Portland. That's what introduced me to Oregon and Portland. I got an MFA in directing there. I had an amazing internship with Scott Yarborough at Third Rail Repertory. And I really fell in love with Oregon. I wanted to stay in Oregon. I got a job at Mount Hood Community College as an adjunct professor there. They condensed all of these adjunct positions down to one position, which none of the adjuncts were hired for that job. And so I was left without a job. Um, within a couple of months, I got a job out at Lake Superior State University in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Went out there, realized that I hated <laughs> the snow. Um, I did not know what lake effect snow was. So I was at a four-year university teaching all theater classes, had a tech director whose job it was to facilitate the entire building and productions. It was a great job on paper. It was just too small of a community. And I realized I would rather teach high school and be in the city that I love than teach at a four-year university in a small town. And it's pretty hard to find a big giant university in a big giant town and where you can find them like Portland State University they're not going to hire teachers with two years of experience they're looking for tenured professors that have a CV that's just bigger than mine so I came back I got my sub license I did the subbing thing I figured out which school districts I really liked. And so that brought me to Tiger Tualatin and here I am in my seventh year of that position. So, oh, that was, that was a long way around that mulberry bush, but that's, that's the answer. That's exactly what I wanted. Okay. Yeah. Seven years at Tualatin. I thought you had been there longer for some reason. Um, <laughs> it feels longer because of the dark time. Right. Yeah. And yeah. my current tech director is an alumni. Like I taught him yeah. his senior year and so it feels long because Drew has been there, but 
It was as a student. Yeah. Yeah. I saw his name written somewhere on a wall. And he, like, if you scroll back through our Instagram, you yeah. can see his student pictures. He's That's on the funny. wall up there in a poster as a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, you have these graduated adult, or at least in one case, Drew, you have this one adult in the room with you. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's managing how many give or take kids on any production. Uh, any in in a production, I'd say for our large scale musicals, the cast is around 30. The crew is around 30. So 65 when you're talking about the kids that you see in a whole week. But we've been really lucky and having upwards of 90 auditioning and wanting to be a part of tech. So we've been having to say, thank you so much. Please come back for the next try. And that's really difficult. But you know, there's been a lot of response to what we're doing. So that's great. That's awesome. Do you feel like that has helped boost up the production, like the production value of things where you have, basically what I'm, I'm thinking is you have all these kids coming into audition and you're sort of having to cut some of them. So I'm imagining that leaves you with like ones that are actually experienced. It's tough because you don't want to just cast seniors that yeah. have, you know, the most... Uh, should I say confidence um, and ability because you want to make sure that there is room for upcoming sophomores and freshmen to feel like they have a place. Otherwise you start to get the reputation of you can't be in a musical until you're a junior and senior. And I do not want that to be uh, a rumor that is actually true. So I really try to look at, okay, these are the students that I want in this production. Have I done a good job of, are there, enough freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So it feels like there is a community being represented on the stage as opposed to just one grade. Because this is more about building community, building skill than it is being like, we're going to put on the best damn production the world has ever seen. Right. If we were professionals, the students would be getting money. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not. They're getting an educational experience. Right. Yeah. What a cool thing. Because I I was never involved in theater in high school. Like I, this is all a newer thing in my life, relatively. And so it's just been seeing them work and... I should say, just for people listening, like I just got to finish working on Little Shop of Horrors with you and did the full production and got to see behind the scenes of the whole thing and how it all works and see the progress Which every step of the way. you saw a good one. It was, it was I'm so going to go good. ahead and say it was my favorite. I've done 38 high school productions. Yeah. Well, hi, productions in general, the majority of them being high school productions. But this was the best one that I've ever done, I think. Yeah. Like, in a synergy sense of the word, like everything coming together. I think this was the best. Nice. Yeah. It felt like it. It was so fun to work on. It was so cool to watch. It was so fun to watch the progress of it. I was only there once or maybe twice a week sometimes. And I remember sitting in a few times, like two or three weeks before showtime. And it was that sort of panic time where it was like you had issues with the orchestra and not knowing if they were available, there was the the curtain catching on the set, like just all the things that could be going wrong. <laughs> right. And I think I had that moment of like, is this going to happen? Which I'm sure you go through every, every single time. Every single time. Yeah. And I will, I call my mom every single day when I go to work and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, mom. This might be the one that it, it, gets doesn't, it doesn't work out or it's not up to my standards. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Jennifer, you say this every single production. I wish I 
was writing it down. But I'm like, I don't know, this might be the one. And we had four snow days. So right. we were four days behind. And four days is might as well be a light year when it comes to <laughs> teenagers and practice time. You know, you're like, oh, they've forgotten their lines, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it but So testament to them too for like pulling through that that snow day fiasco and and really keeping on track. And at this point, we we can say to them like our school we're not just wanting to be high school students doing a high school play and their parents come and say, "What a nice play. That we're proud of you. Here's your, you know, Gerber daisies. Good job." But that we really want the audience to go, "Wow, I didn't know it was going to be that good." And so when we say, "That's kind of what we're aiming for. And they know that their older brothers and sisters were in productions that were like that. So they come in really wanting to make sure that they uphold the legacy, you know, legacy, I don't know, seven years, that's a strong word. This, but you know, that they hit the benchmark that their older brothers and sisters were hitting at the beginning of all of this. Right. So you have, you know, this year, four days of snow that are right near, was that like within the last three weeks of rehearsal time? Yeah, that was... If I count back from opening, I always look at, okay, we're going to open um, on this, either a Thursday or a Friday. And then we want to have the week before that being what we call tech week, where it's really all about the lighting cues and the microphones and everything that the technicians need to be practicing. And the Saturday before tech week is what we call dry tech, where we program the light board, where we get all of the microphones in order. So all of that snow was happening right there before dry tech. So we were like, if dry tech isn't going to happen on this Saturday, then it has to bump forward. And that really puts a crunch in the learning time for the technicians. The actors have eight and a half weeks to really learn everything. Technicians have a week and a weekend and then they're off to the races. So it was starting to crunch their time. And you know, they need repetition just like the actors and the performers. So it starts to get like, how do we get these kids to learn everything that they need to learn as well? Right. Yeah. Do you have any from your, your, what, what do you say? 20 years doing this? Yeah. Any other good stories of like coming up to the deadline? This is why it's not going to work. Well, I mean, when it was, Well, it was last year and it was, you know, COVID was still a thing. And the fall we had been in masks the entire rehearsal period and then allowed to take masks off for the performance and then mask right back up to go out to the lobby and say hi to your families. Um, By the time we had gotten to spring, it was a little bit more lax and the district shut down for a long weekend. So that Christmas uh, winter break holiday it seemed like COVID was coming back and we saw a surge of it. And so by the time we were doing Joseph, it was like, oh my goodness, we have a different case of COVID coming in. My emails, I would just wake up and be like, oh, okay, this student's day zero was here. Count forward. How? When will they come back? Are they back for the second weekend? Are they out for the entire thing? And it was a huge ensemble. So in some case it was everybody just kind of spread out a little bit more. You have some more space on stage, shoulder room and elbow room. (laughs) But in other instances, we were saying to the leads, like, 
you you need to not be at this rehearsal because I know that you know everything that you need to do. I would rather have you miss rehearsal, stay at home, and not be <laughs> subjected yeah. to COVID so you can do the performances. So we were doing full rehearsals with just the chorus. And it was, it sounds really weird if you yeah. like listen to a soundtrack where there's no leads singing and it's just the ensemble. And that's how some of our rehearsals yeah. were going at the end. Wow. Totally weird. Huh. So that made me think too, COVID must have hit right as you were going into a production or into... We were lucky. We had just closed oh. She Kills Monsters. And we actually had a comedy sports high school league performance on Wednesday and then Friday, there was no school. So we had, our money had gone to our ASB account. We had made back our money. The kids had had that entire experience. It was a non-musical. So we run those Thursday, Friday, and two on Saturday. So all of those performances they got to do. But there, I mean, across the country, it was just teacher after teacher after teacher saying we didn't get to open or we only got one weekend of opening. So we felt really lucky that we had completed our process before COVID hit. Wow. <laughs> that, what a disaster that would have been to invest all that time and money oh. and then not be able to do. Because I know now having worked on Little Shop, like you do also depend on running tickets, the show ticket and ticket sales, sales to be able to do another one. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody realizes how expensive even a high school musical is, but by the time you get costumes for a cast of 35, that's a huge investment. And then you need, you know, props. And if you do anything with lumber paint or backdrops, that's thousands of dollars. And then I'm lucky enough to hire somebody like you. That's some money as well. And it's like, oh yeah, we have spent, you know, $20,000 on this show with the rights and everything. You need to be able to do the yeah. performances to make it back. Yeah. Wow. So you haven't ever been a part of a production that's had to like call it and and not go through with the actual production. So in high school. Oh, no. In, when I was in high school, there was a production where no one was ever in the same room at the same time to rehearse. And I knew as a 17-year-old that this was embarrassing. Nobody knew their lines. We hadn't ever rehearsed like the last scene of the show. And I said to my theater teacher, I don't think that this show should happen. It's, it's embarrassing. And that's a bold statement for a high school. Now when I think about it, like if a student had said that to me, oh, like what? <laughs> I'm the department, you know, adult. But he said, okay, turn in your scripts. And he really, in a melodramatic way, collected all, all of our scripts and said, thank you for your time, everyone. We're not doing this. And maybe he knew just as well as everyone else knew that we didn't know the show. But, you know, <laughs> loosey-goosey expectations of teenagers. And, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. So that was the only show that I was like a part of that never went up. So speaking of expectations of teenagers, what is, how is the best way to handle teenage actors? I think what I go into, so let's say a student is really having a meltdown about they're not ready, they're not prepared. I just remind them that I am not going to let anybody get up on stage and make an idiot of themselves. Um, and there's all kinds of things that we can do and there's safety nets. And so put your trust in me that I am not going to let you fail to the point of 
you can't face your family or your friends that come to see this show. That's not going to happen. And then I say, all right, so absolutely everything you're feeling is legit. And you have to tell them that they are validated in their feelings. They're scared. They're not ready. They're worried. Absolutely. I have felt that way. You're right to be feeling this way. So then they're like, okay, (laughs) I, I trust you. You're validating how I'm feeling. Now what? And you just say, have we tried this? Have we tried this? Have we tried these things? And honestly, just kind of talking them off the cliff a little bit and realizing that they haven't tried everything that they could be trying and they try some of the stuff and you say, I believe in you. I put you in this position for a reason. I wouldn't have put you here if I didn't think that you could execute everything that I want you to do. And they do. And they believe in themselves because somebody has said, I believe in you. And That's, you know, that's what it takes. Some of it is you do put in extra hours to get a a student memorized or you say, man, my friend Amanda, when we were in high school, she set up the entire set in her room and she did the show every single night in her room with her stuffed animals being the other cast members. And they're like, that's a lot of work. And it's like, yeah, it is a lot of work. But she was ready. And they're like, oh, okay. What is the level of experience that comes to you usually in in your program now? Like, is are a lot of people getting into theater for the first time in high school? Or is this, do you have a fair number of people that have had all, a background? All across the board. I mean, okay. some of them have come saying, oh, so-and-so is my older brother and sister. You directed them in this show. And they know because they have seen their sibling go through the process. Some are... I was in your story slam class. I liked it. I like being in this building. I have no idea what, where do I find the rehearsal schedule? How do I even do anything at auditions? And so they, they're nervous because it looks like everybody else in the room really knows what they're doing, but they learn quickly. And the seniors are awesome about saying, Hey, this is how it goes. These are the things. And then, you know, some students in the middle that say, Oh, I've been a part of say Oregon Children's Theater or Northwest Children's Theater and they do this, this and this and you go, absolutely, I love those experiences. Things are going to be a little tiny bit different here because this is just a different show. It's a different set of directors. We're on a different timeline. It's a different budget. And so that's all of those experiences are really valuable because they realize that you need to remain flexible, but at the same time there is process and how do you remain flexible within a structured you know, process that is a living thing. Right. I taught the Tuality uh, Theater class on oh, last yeah. Tuesday, which was fun. And it was really cool getting to see these younger kids that were, I mean, there was a real clear divide in the class between, I felt like kids who had to be there and didn't want to be there. Right. And then the other half that were like, these are future theater students. Right. And I had one of them, it was so adorable. She came up to me after class and she's like, I have heard about theater classes in high school. What class do I start out with? <laughs> And I was like, good question. I'll find out. I'll ask Jen for you. But for somebody coming in, maybe like myself that didn't have a lot of experience, what is the best way to navigate a high school theater program? I think to know that everybody is essentially at the same basic level because you are starting the, for me, Tualatin High School Theater experience. Nobody has had that experience coming in, right? They might have watched their brother or sister. They might have uh, seen shows when they were in middle school. Um, Maybe they followed our Instagram, but nobody has sat in theater one until they sit in theater one. So 
you kind of say like, yeah, some of you might know what the word blocking means and some of you might know how hard it is to memorize something, but nobody has done this with me sitting in front of you with this group of people. So this is our experience together. Every single semester is different because of the people that are in the building. So we might go really fast through one set of lessons and we might slow down some other ones because of who you guys are here today and that we're going to handcraft this curriculum to what you guys need. So what I would say to an eighth grader coming in is just be confident in what you know, but also be willing to let go of some of the things that you think that you know. And if you are bored, ask yourself, how can I help the person next to me? Or how can I challenge myself to do this even better? Because you're probably not ready for Broadway as a ninth grader. So what is there else, you know, that you can be working on? Totally. So switching gears a little bit, what do you get out of it? Oh, man. I mean... (laughs) Just how much do you love it is what I want to hear. To go back to sitting in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas and realizing, oh, I don't actually want to be an actor myself. I have had so much fun watching these kids like come and greet the Missoula Children's Theater truck because this was the week that they got to do a play and they look forward to it all week long. It just gives them a sense of self. It gives them a permission to be who they are. You know, they don't have to be anything except the kid who's interested in being on stage. And sometimes our society tells you that that's not okay. So they really just grow as little human beings in every sense of the word. And so for me, when a student comes up to you and says, I'm proud of myself for the first time ever, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay, yep, that's why I'm here. And I could go be in a show and get applause myself. And that feels great. But it's just so much more when a little kid says to you, like, I think my dad really is proud of me this week. And I haven't ever had that experience. You're like, I didn't do that. You did that. You know, like I gave you this arena to do it in, but you're the one who's running around in the arena. You did all of that. So I think for me, you know, it's always more fun to watch other people open the Christmas presents that you bought them for me rather than open your own Christmas mm-hmm. presents. I think that's the best analogy that I can come up with. That's perfect. Yeah. Why did you choose Little Shop this time? Or or did you, I guess I don't know what the, uh, the process is in how you determine what show you're going to do. I mean, number one is one of my favorite shows. Yeah. I love it. It was the second musical that I had ever uh, produced when I was first an educational director. I think it does have room to put an ensemble into it. And so it's not written into the script to have the extra chorus members, but I think that it's accessible for it. So I really like the music. I like that it feels like it's flexible to add those students into it. You know, who can go wrong with a big giant man-eating puppet? And when I found out that the puppet was available... I was like, oh, this is the time to do it. So to give your listeners some background, uh, (laughs) Southern Oregon University made this whole set of puppets 15 years ago, and it still looks awesome. And the deal is if you borrow them, you keep them in your scene shop until the next person wants them. So there's the Audrey 2 plants, and then there's also the Wells Fargo wagon that is a part of 
music man. And there's just a handshake deal that no one's going to take them apart until somebody says, hey, I'm doing music man. And can I borrow the Wells Fargo wagon? And then it's yours. So when I knew that we wanted to do this musical this year and that the plants were available, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm taking it and we're doing it. And we definitely had some of the students who would really shine in the roles that were available. And they did. And they did. Crushed it. I mean, which one are you thinking about? I don't want to say high schoolers' names on this podcast, but it's like... Well, we can say the character name. It could be uh, the Audrey 2 plant voice, and we're like, oh, absolutely. It could be Seymour. Oh, absolutely. It could be that singing trio. Like, every single student was like, man, those students were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what people I had that came to see the show each had a different person that they were like, wow, that person is like a professional level actor in this high school production yeah like it was so cool to just see somebody coming in i think we can kind of get lost in it and uh, you know this but like for me getting lost in the whole production part of it and and seeing it so often i know you talked about that like you see it so many times that eventually it's like okay i've seen it too many times i'm not seeing anything anymore but to get those fresh set of eyes to come in and see the finished product and just be like holy shit, look at how like professional this is. Right. It's such a huge compliment. And for the, for the actors as well, like they should really be proud of themselves. And that's, I mean, that's what you want is mm-hmm. for the students to come in, love theater, really want to do a good job. But then when they hear that kind of feedback, yeah. they're like, oh, I didn't know that that was possible. I didn't know that I had gear 11, 12, 13 when you're so tired and you've got nothing left in you and they kind of learn some resiliency and that you can do more. You know, I'm not a marathon runner, but there's people that are like, yeah, no, I do back-to-back marathons. And you're like, how? How do you do that? Uh, You know, there's, there's another gear that human beings can tap into. And I do it through theater, not through marathons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> More on Little Shop. Yeah, why, why is that one of your favorite plays, other than the, the technical aspects of it, of like, you know, the ensemble ability and things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I, don't, it, I just it, want to nerd out about this play because it's <laughs> I, I should preface this question by saying like I don't have a lot of background in musical theater or or familiarity with a lot of them. So to say this is one of my favorites is true, but also I just don't have the yeah know, the, the breadth of knowledge in musicals. What makes this such a good musical? I mean, I I like musicals. I like, how do I say it? I like musicals, uh, but then there's some musicals that I... (laughs) No. (laughs) No, that's a whole other story. Uh, Okay, I will ask you that in a minute. Okay. So there's some musicals that I really, you know, I'm like, oh, this is catchy and I like it. And you walk around your house and you're humming the tune. And then there's other other musicals where I'm like, hmm... That was pretty to look at, but I don't know that I would walk around my kitchen humming any of those songs. And then Little Shop is like, I can't get enough of it. I would go see it. I like the music. It's catchy. It's I think that there's a great place for Disney musicals, but I am not excited to direct a Disney princess in a dress that is saved by a Prince Charming. So the uh, the messaging in those for me is not as fun uh, as some other more of the modern musicals, but Little Shop seemed to get it right when when it was first produced. So I just I like 
I like two underdogs, kind of two dorks finding love and that they sacrifice themselves to a man-eating plant for the good of the world. Yeah. You know, that's that's a message that I'm interested in producing. Yeah. Plus, it's got great music. It's soulful. It's, you know, the music of Crystal Chiffon and Ronette are named after the girl groups, the Chiffons, the Crystals, the Ronettes. <sighs> oh, Whoa, you just I just learned something. something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so and, cool. And, you know, it's sci-fi, it's horror, it's mm-hmm. it's everything that I want. Dark comedy. Yeah. Will I go see Annie? Yeah, I'll go see Annie. Maybe once every 20 years, I'll go see Annie. But I will go see Little Shop every chance that I get. It's one of those ones now after having, especially having worked on it, but just even seeing it for the first time is one of those ones I'm like, oh, I just want to see how other people do this. Exactly. I want to see the other Audreys. I want to see the other, well, Audrey too is, I want to see the other Audreys and Seymour's and just how people have their take on it. Yeah. I think. I would be interested in you seeing one that doesn't have the ensemble. Yeah. And just the eight characters that are right. written in the script. And what does it look like when there's not that whole group of people? Totally. I was listening to the recordings, like on Spotify, they have the original, they have the movie, and they have the newer Broadway. And I was listening to all three versions of them as we were doing this work, be- partly because in being in those rehearsals, I would just have parts of songs stuck in my head for days and weeks. And still, like today, yeah, I will have little bits of songs from Little Shop playing in my head. So I was like, great, I'm going to listen to these and try to get them unjammed <laughs> from my or brain. Or at least be able to know yeah. the words right. so you so can not, sing no, along no, no, with no, the no. music stuck in your head. Exactly. Yeah. And like huge shout out to your Oren. His stuff was like, I liked listening to him more than I liked listening to the Broadway recordings. Yeah. And so that also just put into my brain of like, oh, there there can be so much difference in any given production based on direction, based on actors. And I, I think I was just kind of putting the, that piece together in my brain and being like, you can go see this anytime and it's going to be a new experience. Absolutely. And I, never, I didn't really appreciate that before working on it. Well, I think it would be unfair to say to a high school student, please try and make your 17-year-old instrument sound like this adult instrument. Yeah. Because... I mean, that's what it is. Vocal ability is an instrument. And so while you can say there's an essence, there's a griminess, there's a, you know, they get very, and this is why I have a choral director because I don't have the vocabulary that a choral director has. Uh, But, you know, like, oh, you need to use more of your head voice or whatever. They can say, let's try and aim for that essence that you're hearing on that recording, but it's never going to be the same. So you have to invite the student to make it their own um, and to have a point of view about the song themselves. For me, songs are the monologues of... (laughs) The musical world. So in a non-musical, in Shakespeare, you've got a soliloquy, you've got a monologue. In a musical, they're all there, but they are sung rather than just spoken. So where is the storytelling in that? You have to like, you have to find a comma because you are breathing, or you have to find a comma because you are setting off a thought that the audience needs to hear. So letting them find the storytelling as well as the musicality, that's kind of the the personalization for them. So, yeah. But you can't go wrong with telling a student, hey, you should watch some Steve Martin. I mean, pretty great. You'll learn something from that. Yeah. <laughs> pretty great, yeah. But yeah. No, next time you see him, I mean, or I'll see him, 
tell him he he like I prefer his version to the Broadway stuff I was listening to. Like That's I, I great. just enjoyed listening to him so much more. And he, he just put such a good spin on it. And he's one of the students that we really spent the most amount of time with. Mm. Oren is so late in the script mm-hmm. that just by the nature of how I set up a rehearsal schedule weeks had gone by and we hadn't worked with him yet and so I was under the assumption that he was maybe looking at his script and then he came in and it was like oh you haven't cracked the script at all so we played some real catch-up which meant some one-on-one time and uh, getting him memorized and then getting him to find the comedy and then getting him to give himself permission to go all the way you know turn it up and you know, be inventive and be crazy. And I always say, I would much rather as a director tell you to back off of something and it's too, too big rather than me continue to say, let's try it bigger. Let's try it bigger, more energy, fill up the space even more. So he got to the place where it's like, okay, now it's too big. And that's great. I love telling students like, it doesn't look like it belongs in this show. Yeah. Every single production, you have the moment of this moment might not happen. This is the thing that might kill it. What did you learn from this production of Little Shop that you're going to take into the next thing? Did you have a, a big aha moment? Oh, this entire year I have experimented with the idea of sending students off to do their own blocking, to do their own choreography. You come up with something. Why don't you watch some YouTube videos and come back and show me what you five put together for this? So with Midsummer Night's Dream and with Little Shop, there were groups of people that needed some special choreography in different places. And they're able to do it. They're able to do it just as well as I'm able to invent choreography, as well as Clara, who was our amazing choreographer. Um, so they're, they're little artists as well. And giving them permission to go and invent and then say, absolutely, I love this. I think it needs some tweaks. And in some cases, it's like, oh, that's perfect. It's better than I could have done. So I think that's what I'll walk away with is let's see what happens when you give them some opportunities to invent themselves. And they love it. They feel so much more ownership of the performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other moments that you can think of where you're like, I let go of control of that and it turned out to be a really great decision? I Well, I think the moments where it doesn't need to be so specific, where it's like the whole stage is open. We will light whatever part of the stage that you want to go into. The lights will follow you. So just in the moments, feel free to improvise We've got your back. Do what you want to do in the moment. And that is so much more freeing to a student than now you need to come to the center. Now I want you to go stage left. Now I want you to go stage right and mapping it all out and just trusting that your lighting designer will go. Yep. They went here, here and here. I watched it again. They still went in those same places. I'm going to start just lighting those places because it seems like it's becoming cement for the actor. So letting designers follow a performer as opposed to me manhandling every single moment right yeah if you were to come up with what you wanted for them that's like another layer of something they have to learn and memorize and do versus if you just kind of let their brain wander to the places on stage that feel natural yeah. Now you've got a more natural actor, but also not something they have to be worried about. Oh, I have to be standing here 
because they want to be standing there. Right. So if I, as the performer, uh, get to look at my script and go, okay, I know that I need to hit these targets of storytelling and I'm going to do it in this way. It's so much more in my bones and I feel really proud of the choices that I've made. I'm going to enjoy performing things that I have creatively brought to the table and then through collaboration and polishing with the director and the rest of the ensemble comes out as a finished product. That's more rewarding for me as a performer. So I try to give students that opportunity. Some do not trust themselves enough to do that. And so they really want to be told, move here to stage left, then move over here to stage right. Um, I had an amazing technician um, when it came to audio and lighting. And, but he did not, when I was like, can you just make the lights look spooky? That was too nebulous for him. He was like, I need you to tell me like, it needs to be at 35% in this area and then I can do it. And he was great at executing someone else's design. He was not great at designing himself. And that's fine. There are people in the lighting world that are, you know, the technicians and it is somebody else who gets paid to do lighting design. And some lighting designers are like, no, I'm here to design. I'm not going to get up there on the catwalk and move the lights around. That's somebody else's work. I'm just here to design something. Do you have any like success stories or anybody that you know that has gone on from your program to work on anything particularly interesting? Yeah, I have. Well, I have one student um, on the performing side who is in Hadestown right now on Broadway and um, massively talented student. But the secret to his success is that he is just so likable. And if any of my students are out there listening, really super talented. But the reason that he keeps getting hired is because the people who check him in to the building, can't say enough good things about him. The person who puts on his microphone absolutely adores him. The directors, the choreographers, everybody wants to work with him. His ensemble members feel completely supported. You know, there's just not a diva bone in his body. So yeah, being a good person gets you in the door and people call you again and again because they just want to work with you. I've also had some technicians that are down in Las Vegas doing amazing things with lights and robotics and things like that because they learned at a little high school in Spokane. Isn't that cool? Like how you can start out with just even like you were talking about, like a small black box theater is enough to give you uh, the sandbox, the playing around time to get your brain hooked into these things. And then it's just... Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That just what can, well, one of my favorite assignments that we're about to go to state. Yeah. Um, and one of the challenges is make a, you know, red carpet gown out of garbage bags and they'll give you like three garbage bags. And what these students can do making a fully braided corset and train out of a hefty garbage bag. It's like, you know, it's so great. Yeah. Kids are so inventive and creative. And that sounded like a TikTok. Like, everyone's so creative. <laughs> yeah. But they are. And it makes you really excited to see what they're going to go do. Have you gotten to go see anybody? Like, have you gotten to see somebody like that in Hadestown? Or... Yes. Uh, that student who is on Broadway right now did the tour for Waitress and was the cool. dance captain for Waitress. And so I, you know, like... 
like a fangirl was at the stage door and he came out and he was so much taller than he was in high school. And I immediately was crying when I saw him on stage, but then I was immediately crying when he came out the stage door and it was just like, oh, you're a full grown adult and you're doing it and you're so awesome and just better than, you know, I could ever <laughs> teach <laughs> A student to be, you know, that's them. It's inside of them. You just cultivate it and allow it to blossom. And that's, that's really great. But that's the cool part is that you are there at that stage of their career to like get them through this learning period. And watching them discover it and that that's what they want to do. And, you know, for some students, it's like, well, I'm, you know, the assistant to one of the senators in Washington, D.C., but my ability to talk to a huge group of press came from your class as well. So all of the skills, you know, they equate to anything. Yeah. So I've got some amazing success stories all across the country in very weird ways. You know, yeah. some are accomplished pastry chefs and some people are walking, working in DC and you know, it's just amazing to watch all of them. That's so cool. Yeah. So you mentioned going to state. So mm -hmm. there are other things that you do that are kind of smaller productions. It's not always the, you know, fill the 600 seat auditorium. What other projects have you gotten into that, that are like that? Yeah. The, the, the small scale things. So this year was the first year I attempted a project called Stage 24. I had done this when I was in Michigan at the college level. Uh, but Stage 24, we ask student playwrights to come in and we give them a line of dialogue, a prop, and then they pick names out of a hat. And so they have a certain number of actors. They don't know any of that going in. They walk away with that information. They have 12 hours to write through the night and write a short script somewhere between, you know, 15 to 25 minutes. 25 would be long. And then a director comes in the next morning, gets their script has about a half an hour with the script by themselves before the actors arrive. And then they start rehearsing this brand new original work. Uh, and then it goes up. So within 24 hours time, we have the world premiere of student written works directed by students and uh, performed by students. So we had that in January, stage 24, and some of my special ed students arrived and we were pulling names out of a hat and one of our special ed students ended up being in a cast of two. And immediately my, you know, lights go on in my head and go, oh, you should give some extra support to that situation. So I said to the playwright, why don't you go ahead and write yourself a role so it's not just a two-person um, so much work for that student, but maybe they can be a supporting character. And that's what we did. And we talked about what kind of characters can be nonverbal on stage, but be a part of the storytelling. So like a mafia boss who has his two henchmen there and it's like, they do all the talking, like the boss doesn't like it, you know, and the, the boss just nods their head or, you know, gives a thumbs up. So one of our students wrote a beautiful play where this student was a princess, but the princess was in hiding and didn't want to be found out. Um, so she didn't do a lot of talking. Her maid did all of her talking for her. But in the course of the rehearsal period, we realized that it was almost too much. You know, the student was experiencing a whole lot of uh, stage fright 
And so then we said to the director, let's put you in a princess dress as well. And so we, you know, adapted, adapted again. And so now we have two princesses and the director kind of led that student around on the stage. And I looked at everybody in that circle before they went up on stage. And I said, you know, what we did today was more than just theater. It was really giving somebody the opportunity to have, you know, that core memory, like inside out, the core memory comes down the track and it's the shiny marble that that student will think about when they graduate, that they got to be a princess on stage in front of a full audience of people and got to perform for their mom and their dad and their sibling who had been in shows as well. So I just really cherish those experimental moments of theater just as much as the sold out 600 group of students. So yeah, that was by far and away my proudest moment this year. And it was tiny and it was for a hundred people in the audience. But that's, that's what it's about is that you're doing educational theater. And I think that the director, the playwright and the actress playing the maid, they realized that they were doing something about humanity more than just I'm standing in a costume performing for my family. So that was my favorite. Yeah, that's yeah. Really special. Well, and you know, I was writing a letter of recommendation and I told that same story. And when you're looking at who should get this scholarship or who do we want to uh, give that last spot to a conservatory to, you know, it's like, yeah, those are the people that you want to give those opportunities to is those people who really look at their neighbor and say, I'm going to make sure that you shine as well. That's so sweet. I'll just say my, what I say at the end of every rehearsal process. So at the end of rehearsals, it's about to be their time to perform. And I say, this is no longer my show. I have taken you so far this is now fully your weekend. This is about you guys. I give the show over to you. You guys are in charge of it. And then I leave them with my favorite quote, which is you give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. And when you talk about time and energy, that's what it's about. And so those nine weeks and everything that they do through that exhausting couple of weekends is about their time and their energy and giving of yourself and giving the opportunity for people to come into a space and escape into a story about a man-eating plant or (laughs) a princess and a maid, whatever it is. it's, It's really more than, oh, I got to be in a spotlight. And I think the students figure that out is that this is about something bigger than I got to be funny in front of my friends. They start to kind of figure out the bigger things in life. So that's why you do it. That's super cool. Just to be clear for everybody, like you really do turn it over to them. Like you don't sit in the theater. You don't run anything. You are not backstage giving notes or, you know, do this, do that. You sit outside the theater, let them do literally all of it. It is their production. Yeah, absolutely. And that is such a cool thing that you can do that you can just hand it over. I mean, both on a control level of being like, I'm out, you do this, but also giving them that that level of responsibility and opportunity to run a full production, like a live show is being run by students. And they are fully capable if you have done all of the training necessary. And so you've got seniors that have watched, you know, seniors before them do it. And so now they're the stage managers and they know how to do it because they've been 
watching it for three years and now they're in charge their fourth year. So you're not turning it over to students that have only had nine weeks. You're really, you have students that have been with you for four years in those manager positions. And so I fully feel confident. It's like, well, that student <laughs> knows how to do it just as well as I know how to do it at this point. They've, they've seen this process. They know the show as well as me. They've been there every single day. So I only have there been like some medical, like this student should leave right now. That's when I'm pulled out of an audience. Like we're sending this student home. And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Is their ride already here? Yeah. We already called their ride. Oh, so really you're just letting me know as yeah. the adult in the room that everything has been taken care of. Thank you so much for telling the adult in the room, but you as the high school student actually have it covered. So yeah, the, that's the best. And they know that they have really accomplished something when I'm like, I didn't do any of that. You did all of that today. That is so cool. And just the whole process. I've been so grateful to be included in all of it. And We're grateful to have you yeah. around. Well, it's just, it's so special to see. And like I said, I didn't have this high school experience. So it's really nice for me to be able to, on a selfish level to be like, what can I give to like help, you know, foster this in these, in these students that, you know, I didn't have that encouragement or that support at that time in my life. So whatever I can do now, I want to be there for them and do whatever I can. So yeah. thank you for giving me the opportunity to, oh, to be there. Well, and thank you for coming on the ride and yeah. I can't wait to do more. Yeah. Well, now that we've worked together, especially we've, you are one of the rare, I, maybe the only guest that I've had on that I've worked for. Um, <laughs> so I can ask this oh, question. I hate that. Can we just say worked with? I worked don't with. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Worked uh, with. Worked with. Um, so after having worked with me, I can ask the question, Jen, are we still friends? We are still friends. Yay. Yay. We made it through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for having me be a part of your theater, and oh. I cannot wait for the next part of it and the next production and just anything that you will let me do. I know. As soon as we turn these microphones off, we can talk about what show we want to do. Yeah, because that's a secret. Next. Nobody gets to know yeah, until the not, fall. Not yet. <laughs> it's going to be... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to our friend Jen for sitting down with me today. If you want to become better friends with Jen, find her on Instagram at the Jen Hunter. Are We Still Friends is produced and edited by me, Kyle Coleman. Music provided by our friend Jack Martin. Make sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Visit arewestillfriends.com to find more interviews with your favorite friends. <laughs>